You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Um, Your mercies are renewed each morning. Um, You, Lord, are a giver. You give good things to your children. Um, We humbly ask now that you would give yourself to us this half hour or so. Um, uh, Speak, uh, open our ears, open our hearts. Um, Lord, for those of us who are married, I pray that you would strengthen our marriages. Um, uh, Let your work be done in your way so it wouldn't lack for anything that was needed. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, First of a four-week series on marriage, um, just because I like marriage. Amen's here, so that's good. You know. uh, I am pro-marriage. You know, I say that a lot. It's a privilege I get to, to do what I get to do as a counselor, seeing people um, oftentimes in marriage, premarital sessions, um, marriage counseling, different um, situations, and I like to teach on it. Um, I like to kind of open up mainly so I can, like I do everything that I teach. Uh, there's a, something in me that wants to kind of kind of go back to the source and kind of come back to it another time, and uh, I was thinking about that earlier this week. We did um, a marriage retreat February of 2020. Um, Of course, that was like, you know, 30 days before the shutdown, and some of y'all were there. It was at, wasn't it, Ross Bridge here? I think it was in town. Um, And there were like 70 of us in a 50-person room, and I just remember how odd, you know, how the contrast to that, like, two months later. Um, we had that much humanity in a room, and we all survived. It was great. So, um, so haven't really sort of touched on it formally since then. So uh, thinking about the fall and what I wanted to teach on in four weeks on marriage. Um, uh, structure of this, I'm going to hopefully, roughly in thirds, take about ten minutes, probably a little bit more today, um, touch on a text. I want to do this each week. Ten minutes and kind of touch on... An aspect of marriage. You might say, beneath the Lord's common grace, just what's true, whether for Christians and non-Christians alike, the teaching aspect, if you will, for marriage enrichment or something else like that. And then leave a lot of time for questions and answers, knowing sometimes when you're in this topic, um, people may or may not want to raise their hand. Sometimes people do, and they're not shy. Sometimes they're not. Feel free to email me in between. Um, that'd be kind of fun, actually. Um, you could even write me an anonymous letter if you want to remain completely anonymous, and I promise you I'll open it and bring it up. Um, I was talking to May May uh, yesterday, I guess it was, um, and I'd be happy if uh, if it was just Q&A. You know, I, I love that format. Um, uh, but usually I like to prime the pump a little bit and kind of go in a certain direction before you want to sort of interrupt and ask questions, but want this to be helpful and connective in lots of ways. So going first to the, um, in some ways, the basis for, uh, I think it'd be too much to say the basis of the Bible, um, uh, uh, to, to put that um, uh, weight on Genesis 1, 2, and 3, but certainly the basis of, of marriage, um, the ordering of creation, um, uh, the creation of work and sex, interestingly, before the fall, um, before the apple was at in Genesis 3. Um, we'll see that today um, where Adam was created, and it was good, but it was not good that he was alone. We'll look at that, and then Eve comes, not just from a rib, but really from his side. So in some ways, Adam was cleaved in half, uh, and then out of his other half came the whole 
kind of some weird math, almost like Trinity is one plus one plus one equals one. Um, uh, one plus one equals one in a marriage. The two should, am I call it that? Yeah, the two shall become one. Um, so that's what we're looking at. Um, today is Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Next week we'll look at Ephesians 5. Um, I think week 3 will be kind of the mashup. We'll take a lot of smaller passages and put those together. Some other things that Paul says in Malachi, uh, uh, probably Mark. Um, and then last week we'll look at Colossians 3, which isn't one that we, I normally look at when I think of marriage, but it's what we had at our wedding. A lot of us have read at our wedding. It's one of the, the great wedding um, text. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Um, uh, and we'll think about what that might mean. So that's kind of where we're headed the next four weeks. Um, so let's go. Um, in your handout, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Um, our selections from it. I don't know that we're going to get to the curses. Where's a clock? Um, is there a clock in here? Oh, okay. Um, I don't know we'll get to the curses on the second page, but let's at least look at uh, Genesis 1 and to the creation stories. Um, you could, you know, I won't go too far with that. Genesis 1, sort of big picture. Um, uh, Genesis 1 to the first part of Genesis 2, uh, where God creates, and as it were, it goes in and it zooms in. A little bit of like Google Earth, plus, 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 get in there, get a, get a real close view of the creation of Adam and Eve um, and what that looks like. That's a good way, I think. There's lots of ways. Man, ink has been spilled over Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Uh, uh, but that's a, that's, a, that's a helpful way to look at it. It's not two competing creation stories you'll sometimes hear. Um, it just goes in and gives a zoomed-in look in Genesis 2. So from Genesis 1, in the beginning, and I emphasized yeah, um, some of the words that I really want to sort of bring in. This isn't going to be because it's going to be a 10-minute overview, but, um, but looking at some of the words that I think are important here, especially related to marriage, but just for humans. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Um, first, I mean, just when I come to this text, and how many times have I come to this text? I mean, a thousand? And still, the force of it, its beauty, its majesty, its mystery, its, uh, its poetry, its weight, its gravitas, its pathos, all the fancy words you can pull in there. I mean, I just feel it. It's a, it's a, it's a verse, it's a word, the living word, which is doing its work. I mean, this is one of those verses, one of the two, three verses that I can kind of come to that. And things that I want to sort of bring out, the Trinity, right there at the beginning. We have God, we have the Spirit, and we have the verb said. Now, when God became verb, we have to use John 1 here to really help us out. Um, and the Word became verb. Um, and the, uh, the Word became flesh. The verb became flesh. And He dwelled among us full of grace and truth. And we have the Trinity right here. In the beginning, God created, and the Spirit of God was hovering. And then God said, and the word was spoken, and that which was spoken came into being. Um, in the beginning, God, and that's Elohim, which is a plural word for God, which is really interesting. But in the Hebrew, it's a plural word, a noun that always carries a singular verb. And so right there, just more Trinity. God, as he exists in three, but he's, he's one. And so the one God, Elohim, which is a plural 
verb that requires a singular noun, I mean a plural noun that requires a singular verb, in the beginning God, because later in Genesis 2 it's going to have a different word, it's going to have Yahweh Elohim, um, which is the relational God, the God that Moses meets at Genesis 3, I am who I am. Um, that's the full revelation of, of God in his relational being, because that's going to be marriage, that we exist in relationship as God exists within himself in relationship. And so that comes in Genesis 2. But here in the beginning, God Elohim created. It's a verb which interestingly is only used to describe the activity of God. That's the only time that word, that verb, is used. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, all things. The earth was without form or void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Everything lacked content and order. Nothing was separated, and nothing was according to its kind. Um, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's, um, I had that in mind. I just think that's beautiful. Um, and it's also so pregnant with anticipation. Um, there's a sense of something that's about to become. And that's going to be a primary theme as we're thinking about our marriage. The becoming right for each other. And that anticipation of that which is about to be. Um, and in a moment, we see at the end of Genesis 2... It's the reverse order of anticipation, um, where now uh, we're at the beginning when things are without form uh, and void. Nothing is according to its kind. Nothing is in order, and there's an anticipation of something which is about to happen, for the Spirit of God was trembling and hovering over the face of the deep. Later, after things were at, in Genesis 3, excuse me, after the apple, after the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was eaten, um, the pregnancy is reversed, where now God covers and clothes. He kills animals for the first time, and he clothes the naked Adam and Eve, foreshadowing how he's going to bleed for all of us on the cross. Um, this anticipation and the pregnancy is a form of literature, if you just want to call it that, it is really powerful and really beautiful. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then we go on to the bottom, towards the end of chapter 1. And then God said, let us, so there it is again, the plural, the trinity. Um, let us make man, that word is Adam, Adam. Um, that's what Adam means, it's just uh, the word for man. Man is in how we used to use man to, to include both sexes, man and woman. Um, because later, Ish and Isha, I'm not going to get too far into that. I don't know much Hebrew. Um, these are all just things you can see, ESV study Bible. You know, kind of pull that anywhere you want. In the same way that man and woman have the same word in there, ish and isha in Hebrew, it carries that over the same way. So English there did us a, a service by bringing that around. This is not ish, which is specific to the gender of male, and isha, which is gender of female. This is humanity, or just man. Let us make humanity, man, Adam, in our image, after our likeness, and let them, interesting, before... Uh, uh, Eve has been split from, from Adam's side. He's already saying them. Um, let them, Adam and Eve, Ish and Isha, um, the man and the woman, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creeping things that creep on the earth. And so God created man, humanity, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, Ish and Isha, male and female, he created them. 
not trying to get political, but it needs to be said. I mean, here, uh, I mean, gender, it matters. It's given to be male and female. Um, in the image of God, each were created. And right now, we come into Genesis 2 with humility, asking why. Why were male and female created? Um, what is it about their, um, uh, they're equal, but they're not equivalent? There's something that's distinct and separate, each according to their kind. That's important. In the same way the earth was out form and void, and then things were sorted, each according to their kind. Um, that now Ish and Isha, male and female, equal but not equivalent, male and female. Uh, we come into Genesis 2 feeling that, asking that question. What is it about this distinctiveness, um, which is yet one? Um, this, uh, uh, how is it sometimes said, this unity, which is not uniform. They're not interchangeable. There's not a uniformity to them, and yet they are united. The two are one. And so God blessed them, and he said to them, both male and female, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And that's where I said earlier, this is before the fall, which is in Genesis 3. Be fruitful, multiply, um, fill the earth and subdue it. Sex and work. Some of the things that are so toilsome to us, and not just sex. And we probably will talk about that, I think, in week three. But just the way that that has so preoccupied us since the beginning of time. <laughs> I mean, uh, it has been around as the, 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 the fall of empires and kingdoms and individuals and peoples and marriages and everything else. And it's also the power that unifies uh, men and women uh, over and over and over again in the economy of God. So great is it that when Paul, we'll look at this next week, wants to speak about the relationship of the church, what does he use more than any other metaphor? The bride. The church is a house, you know, living stones. Um, the church is a body, you know, an arm shall not say to the, the eye, I have no need of you. But more than any other metaphor, more than any other analogy that he uses, he wants to say the church is a bride. And Christ is the bridegroom with all the parts therein um, of, uh, of dependence, of loyalty, of love. We're going to look at electing love, of sex, um, of union, of, of glued thereupon. Um, I need to hurry. There's lots. There's so much that's here. Um, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it work, sex, uh, relation, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And God said, Behold, I have given you the essence of God as giver. Gosh, that stood out to me when I was looking at this text again this week. Um, God, at the core of who he is, is he gives and he gives and he gives. And again, as we look ahead, um, and God uh, saw their nakedness uh, and now their shame, because we know the story, the end of creation before the fall, before sin entered the world. They were naked and unashamed. And then afterwards, we're going to hear the haunting question, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And he was ashamed, for he was naked. And so he hid. He hid from God, as if we can hide from the one from whom no secrets are hidden, all thoughts are open, um, all desires known. Uh, but he hides, and God sees that, and he kills. Uh, he kills animals, he skins them, and he clothes them. He gives uh, covering to Adam and to Eve. Um, the essence of God is to give. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, 
just the word. I like to pull out that word every time it's used. It was very good. Evening and morning, the sixth day. And then in chapter 2, we'll go quickly here. And then the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, um, or Yahweh Elohim, um, I am who I am, and uh, as well as the Creator God, Elohim, formed Adam out of dust from the ground, Adamah. So that's what ground is. You know, so Adam came from Adam. Adam came from Adamah. Uh, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. And so far, it was evening and it was morning the first day and it was good. Evening and morning the second day, it was good. And it was good and it was good and it was good and it was good and it was good. And then it was not good. It is not good for the man to be alone. Um, And I will make a helper fit for him. Helper. Let's talk about that word because it's been so massively abused. Um, Almost without exception. There's, I think, two. In the rest of the scripture, when that word azer is in Ebenezer, Ebenezer, um, Ebenezer Scrooge, uh, that's what that word is, azer. It's used of God. In the Psalms especially, oh God, my help. Um, uh, Our help in the time of trouble. Um, Our help in days of distress. Um, This thing which is outside of me, which is vital, that word has the word life in it. For me to live, I must have that. And I don't have it in me. It's not native. Um, That's not an assistant. That's not as I used to think about it. Um, uh, A little kid kind of following his dad around saying, can I hammer it, Daddy? And he's like, tick, tick, tick. Oh, you're doing a great, your daddy's little, you're doing such a big help. Um, has none of that. Um, the massive need of an intervention, without it I will die. It's something like that. I don't think you can impregnate that word too much in terms of uh, how the scripture is using it. A, um, a helper fit. Now out of the ground the Lord God caused, etc. and so forth. Um, so he made all the animals and everything else and he brought them to Adam. And part of the subduing was the naming, each according to their kind and sorting taxonomy, if you want. Heard John Lennox call it that one time. Thought that was brilliant. Taxonomy right there, for those of you who like science. Um, sorting out everything to genus, phylum, and species. And still, a suitable helper, a resource that he desperately needed, was not present. Um, and so the Lord God, God caused a deep sleep. One class I'm going to have. God does some of his best work while we're sleeping. I mean... Just absolute passivity. There's no activity. We don't come forward. Brings nothing to the table. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs. You could say, this this is something that's kind of new to me. Um, Another way to look at that, that phrase, is, And the Lord God took and cleaved Adam from his side. I don't know if that's exactly half, whatever. but, But it's more than just like, let me take this little... You know, how much can I get for a rib, as that joke goes? Um, uh, Cleaves Adam, splits Adam in two, and then heals the wound, and then brings Adam back, as it were, to himself, of the same kind and substance, and yet different, not the same, distinct and separate. And so what happens? Um, The essence of God is to give, and God brings Eve to Adam. We'll know her name in a minute. And the man said, and here it is, Who's surprised that the first poem, the first song ever sung is a love song, is a love poem? Um, bone of my, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, Isha, for she was taken out of man, Ish. Um, 
uh, as Tim Keller once said, know you, I am you. In you I see myself, and yet you're distinct from me, separate. Um, and over here, Trinity. God, Spirit, Word, right there at the beginning, um, the hetero nature of God, three persons, each distinct from the other, one God, uh, Elohim, plural, requiring a singular noun. Some of that math is reflected in a marriage. Each, according to their kind, distinct, each from the other, separate from the other, and yet in the mystery of God. We're going to pick up that with Paul. This is a profound mystery, he says at the end of Ephesians 5. Um, uh, Although distinct, although separate, although not uniform, unified. One, a single organism glued thereupon. And so then, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Um, And if there's an image that I want to sort of massage for the next three weeks, this idea of becoming, they shall become. It's at one and the same time they are, and they're becoming. Um, And I'm I'm, kind of in this a little bit. Uh, And I say this, I mean, I I thought about this yesterday. Um, You know, our wedding, we've been married 22 years, almost 23. Um, You know, and I read this somewhere. Uh, When when you're at your wedding, who's this? You know, Millers are relatively recent newlyweds. I mean, you're almost playing, right? We're dressed up, you know, we're coming together, we're, we're adults now, and we're play-acting, and you're like, I'm here. And that's true, and that's good. You know, when you think, you know, like, snapshot, perfect picture. I mean, you've got pictures of our wedding, and it's beautiful. Um, but if we think of that, of our, of our, of our marriage, only as a statue, this is what somebody else said, that there it is, a finished product, rather than a block of marble. And that's what you are when we're getting married, is two blocks of marble coming together, saying, how are we going to become this thing, this one flesh, uh, this new organism um, that the Lord is going to, uh, going to do the work? How is He going to pull us apart hitting the veins of, uh, of sin and selfishness and dislocation and alienation and pain and joy and happiness uh, that exceeds anything you could hope for or imagine. And the process of chipping away at the marble, um, bringing, I would even say over the decades, not the privilege of being people in the premarital, we'll talk about that. You know, I'll say sometimes, and they're 22, I was like, I've got a I'm thinking of who you are, you know, in 60 years. You know, somebody who's going to have the, the, the burden of, of bearing the other. And they start crying, and so do I, you know. Because it's just like, wow, chip, 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 chip. What are you going to become? Because this isn't a statue that you are, but this block of marble. Um, so I may come back to that. So that's the first part. Um, much more to say about Genesis. Um, find a way to do it. But I want to get to... Uh, this forced acronym, VARE, V-A-R-E. Um, but before we do, any any interactions with that? Any thoughts? Just amen. Amen? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I come to this, I've worked this text so many times. And you could say this about almost any page of the scripture. Um, I just can't, I can't plummet. I can't, I can't go to it enough. It's just remarkable. So, I want to just move. Um, VARE. V-A-R-E, um, funny acronym. Um, 
visible, accessible, responsive, and engaged. All of our, or, all of our connections, and this works really for, for the your parents, um, thinking mostly about marriage, this is just kind of based in attachment theory, if you want to know where I'm coming from. Works great with kids as well, so you can keep two tracks going if you want to. Um, all connections are organized. Um, that's back to the taxonomy. The question is, how is it organized? Is it organized well? Is it organized? Is it disorganized? Is it um, uh, is it anxious? Is it is it uh, is it avoidant? Is it full of ambivalence? Um, is it in sync? Do you feel stressed? Um, there is a really helpful acronym to think, um, how can I affect, in a big picture, we'll get to more specific stuff later, the, uh, the workings of how we're coming back and forth with each other. Um, visible, um, as I mentioned earlier with, uh, uh, in, um, from Genesis, the, the question that God says when he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day is a haunting question. Adam, where are you? Um, uh, Adam's not invisible to God, but Adam thinks he is. He's hiding. Um, it's an echo of a rhyme um, that comes out here, but that's one of our primary, that's one of the primary consequences of the fractural nature of sin. I know that's a crazy way to put it. Sin comes down like a million little pieces. I always think of that kind of glass that just shatters like a, like a windshield and it just breaks out into 10,000, 20,000 different pieces. That's what sin does, is it, is it fractures relationships. More than anything else, sin fractures relationships. And why do I say that? Because God exists in a relationship, and He's given us to be in a relationship to Himself, to the world, to, our, to ourselves, and to one another, and all of those are broken. And that's the big problem, is that my relationship to God, to myself, to each of you uh, and to the world is broken, the fractural nature of sin. And so the question of, you know, am I visible to you and are you visible to me is one of the most fundamental questions that we're asking in a marriage. Um, uh, and then accomplishing that, each of these build on the other. You move from that visibility um, where if you have the positive answer, I, I am seen by you uh, and I see you then you can come to be a part of accessible. I've got in mind, I can't think of a specific movie, but scores of movies where somebody's in trouble and they see somebody come and they're seen and then the guy just walks away, leaving them to fall into the quicksand or whatever else. It's just horrific. That's one of our terrors, that we'd be seen by our spouse and they would turn away and they wouldn't turn towards us. Um, this is going to be a lot of, well, we'll see what it is. Um, uh, asking the question, are you accessible? Are you available to me when I need you? Um, uh, I see you. I might be seen by you. But the question remains, uh, will you turn towards me? Will you turn against me? Or will you turn away from me? Um, uh, the third, coming down to the responsive, after I'm seen and you're available, uh, how will you turn? How will I turn to you? How will I respond now to this, uh, uh, to seeing you? Knowing that you are available, um, will you respond to my needs, to my emotions? And there's some really good research, if you just want to pull that in, uh, to say what's the secret to a, uh, 
when they ask couples this, they'll say you know, what's called the Likert scale, dissatisfied, neutral, satisfied, very satisfied. It's called a Likert scale. If you want to be one of those couples that in 50 years are going to say satisfied or very satisfied, and they say, how do we get that? They'll say emotional responsiveness. If more times than not you respond to the emotions uh, of each other, um, that's kind of the secret sauce. That's the good things like joy. Um, that's the hard things like anger. Um, could be all the points in between. But will I respond to you? Um, and will you respond to me? Um, here, uh, thinking about a couple of different ways. Um, Love in the Ruins by uh, Walker Percy. You might know that novel. Um, speaks a great line, kind of the, the catch line for the title. We um, love those who see us in our worst and don't turn away. When we're seen and available and somebody turns towards me anyway, that changes everything. Um, so visible, accessible, responsive, and then finally engaged. After having been seen, knowing the other is available and responsive and cares, you're simply engaged. Now let's ramp this up to the gospel. This is God's electing love played out in the redemption of marriage, um, in the way that one spouse works, chip, 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 that block of marble, um, to, uh, as we become one flesh, as we become right for each other over the, over the course of um, a day, a month, a year, a decade, a lifetime, until one of us has uh, uh, love at last sight. Um, uh, I thought of the Towns Van Zant song this morning. Um, if I needed you, um, which I'll love it sings, if I needed you, would you come to me? Um, uh, question mark. It says, if you needed me, I would come to you. I would swim the seas for to ease your pain. It's there in all the songs. Every song that's worth something singing has something about this. Um, are you for me? Are you with me? Are you going to be there when I need you? Um, will you turn to me and not turn against me or not turn away from me? Um, is there going to be somebody in my life that's going to be there? So now let's go to the gospel and we'll wrap up and see if you have any questions. I called it the electing love of God. Um, the gospel drama played out in varying degrees, big, small, minuscule, and massive, every day, every month, every year, every lifetime together. Um, what's a real simple way to think about the gospel drama? We're there in Genesis. We didn't go to Genesis 3, but we know the story. Um, the serpent was more crafty than any other animal, any other being in the garden, um, and sin entered the world. So we start at peace. We're okay. And then something happens. Um, my selfishness uh, uh, disrupts the, uh, the peaceableness. And so now there's fracture. Now there's brokenness. Now there's pain. Um, and now there's a result of all that. Alienation, dislocation, isolation, despair. Um, can overstate that. Um, uh, and then someone, most especially the one who was offended or hurt at some cost to him or herself, does something and reaches out, is available and responds, and enters into that brokenness, and then comes to me. Would you come to me? I will come to you. Um, and then there's the, what's the consequence of that? Reconciliation, 
redemption, exchange, something new, something else becoming, and then peace is restored. That's the gospel, of course, where we and our selfishness, uh, wanting to be like God, take the apple and sinners, the world, and then God at great cost to himself. I've gotten very impatient with the idea of cheap grace. It's not cheap. It's, it's, it costs God his life in the form of his son. It's just free. You can't buy it. It's just an immeasurable, incalculable cost. There's no, it's not cheap. It's just not available on the market. The only thing God does is give. God in his essence is a giver. And he gives and he reaches and he pulls out and he breathes life into our nostrils again. And we become a living being and we're brought back. And how does this play out in a marriage? Well, you know, in small ways, every day, in slightly bigger ways, because this happens in varying degrees. So the small things, walking into the kitchen, the bigger things when you need to talk about some a real issue with the kids, or a big thing, one or two, three times in a marriage, um, when there's been a real offense, a real hurt. Uh, this plays out. Where are you going to do? Um, if you are the offended, um, you can come along and say, I'm laying aside my wrath, which I'm entitled to, um, and, uh, and I'm reaching out to you. Well, that's not a good idea. I'm kidding. Don't do that. Um, if you do that, it's just going to result in defense and everything else. It comes out in a different way, where if I'm the one offended, I diffuse it somehow. There's lots of ways to do this, but a simple way is like uh, when you snap back at me, and I would then say like, you know, it's been a long day. Um, I wonder if I can get you anything. Would you like, can I get you a cigarette? <laughs> um, uh, and then the other would come back and say like, you know, I'm sorry, it's not you. You know, boss is on me again. I snapped at you and I shouldn't have. The reaching out rather than repaying in kind, rather than responding tit for tat and coming up. Now it's not a, I wish it was a formula. I wish that was all I had to do when I was with marriage counseling. I could tell people, it's like, instead of doing this, say that, and then everything's going to be okay. That's not true. But in small ways, every day, in slightly bigger ways, every month, and two, I think it, you know, two or three times in the course of a marriage, um, in massive ways, as they hit in the marble, a really, what lesser artist would get at and say, oh, this is spoiled marble. Let's just throw it away and start over. But the master, I'm just making this up, the master artist says, no, no, I can work with this. This is what makes it good, um, uh, brings it through. So there, it's just, it's, it's a forced word, but it's a good one. Um, visible, accessible, responsive, and engaged. And then think of Town Van Zant, especially La Lubbock's version of it. Um, I listened to like five different songs this morning. His was the best. Yeah. Any questions? I knew I wouldn't be able to do that, right? Um, yeah. So, and this is like kind of a spouse question and just a parenting question, but do you have any advice for, like, if your spouse comes home and has had a bad day, or all four of your kids come home and they've had a bad day, not internalizing all those emotions, but like being able to be responsive without, like, just emptying your own cup and sure. just a puddle on the floor? Yep. Great question, Liz. Um, I mean, you're going right into it. Why it's not as easy. It's, 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 it's a simpler concept to understand, but that doesn't necessarily give you the power to do it. Because, um, 
And this really isn't the way anomamies are here on my left. This isn't really how it works for us most of the time, but it could. Um, uh, if I come home short, uh, it triggers her, triggers Maymay. Is it okay if I say this? This is a fiction. Um, <laughs> and Maymay's, um, she gets defensive because she thinks, well, you know, Gil's mad at me, um, and that's not true. I'm not mad at Maymay. But she, of course, thinks that she is. And so she internalizes my pissy mood as something that, you know, she did this. And now we're off. And so all that has to be sort of broken out and undone. That think is kind of what you're saying. And so is there a way not to internalize it when somebody else comes in, whether it's your child, your spouse, you know, a coworker, whatever else, and not immediately turn it around and say, like, I'm laying aside my rightful wrath. And I'm gonna, um, no and yes. There's not an easy way through it, but it's not impossible. Um, let me find an exit because I'm going to wrap up. Um, the way through really is, like, let me always say, what's my part? Where's my sin in this relationship? Remembering that I'm always wrong somewhere, that I don't have omniscience and omnipotence like God does. Uh, recognize that I'm going to do the wrong thing and then come at this in humility with my children, my spouse, and some others. You could do worse than letting that be sort of the, the recurring thought that, if you want to put it this way, that's always challenging your automatic response. Um, I'm happy to follow that up later if you want. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try to mind time better next week. Um, but let me pray. Lord, thank you for this day, for the gospel, um, which works in the tiniest of ways, in the massive ways uh, over a lifetime. But Lord, it always works because you always give yourself to us, um, turning us to you um, so that we would become uh, the, 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 uh, your creatures, your sons, your daughters. Um, uh, help us, Lord, in every way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.